I'm Jade Winnerk. I'm going to be reading James 7 through 8. James 5, 7 through 8. Brothers and sisters, be patient until the Lord comes. See how the farmer waits for the land to produce its rich crop. See how he is patient for the fall and spring rains. You too must be patient. You must stand firm. The Lord will soon come back. I am so busy preaching here that I don't often get the privilege of introducing someone else who can preach. So it is a pleasure to have you here today. Thank you. Elder Lavery, when did you enter ministry? uh, It was July 5th, uh, 1967. I was not quite three. (laughs) Was that the wrong thing to say? We all have to start somewhere, right? We all have to have to do our thing at the time we have to do it. Where did you start ministry? In uh, Southeastern California Conference. I like that conference. Uh, that, that bodes well for you, I think, here today. today. Well, Good starts, you know, always help. Who'd you, who'd you intern under? Um, I actually came into ministry through the literature ministry. Uh-huh. I attended public... Uh, institutions of learning, specializing in business and accounting. The call to ministry came later in my life, and I entered through the literature ministry, and I've been in the Lord's work ever since. How many of you know what the literature ministry is? Good for you. That is a tough thing. I have to tell you, the idea of knocking on people's doors and selling Adventist literature just strikes me as Nothing short of terrifying, frankly. Um, How many of you can relate to my sentiments on that? A few of you, anyway. So it's it's really incredible that some people not only do that, but enjoy it so much they find with the Bible studies that go with that a special call to God's work. You're in our trust and services department, correct? Correct. Now, what's your relationship to that organization? Why are we getting a ring through the sound system? Is this still ringing? Still ringing. Let's go off of this mic and try the pulpit mic, and I'll have you step back. Let's see if this is any better. Let me say also that in Southeastern, I labored there until 1976. And then uh, my family and I were called to the Hawaiian Islands, where I pastored and was also a departmental leader. You know, when you work in some of the smaller fields, uh, you wear various hats of responsibility. Uh, Then coming in 1981 to the Pacific Union Conference, giving leadership to the literature work. And then in 1999, I began working in trust services and has been in that department since. Now, I started in this conference in 97, so we've known each other at least nine years. At least nine years, and you've come to Hollywood and done things. I remember for me when there. I came to Hollywood. Now, what is a trust and, and wills department or trust services department? What what is that essentially? It was established many many years ago, and it has a twofold purpose, and that is to generate funds for the furtherance of the Lord's work. Not only that, but to provide for our church family uh, the documents essential to protecting their assets and protecting their families and their children. 
And today there are a number of uh, trusts and wills that are, that are maturing. In other words, those that initiated these documents 40 years ago, 50 years ago, 30 years ago, and who are now uh, losing their life, part of their estate, they're remembering the Lord's work. And so once again, the purpose is to generate in the future the potential of financial assistance so that God's work can advance and the documents essential to protecting the family. How do you relate this to ministry? You know, I know there's some out there who think finance is one thing. Oh, we're still getting a real boom up here. Finance is one thing and ministry is another. How do they relate for you? That's a good question. And in answering that question, as we visit in every family, we find a unique situation in every home. And oftentimes we have the opportunity to not only provide the essential documents to protect the family and the assets of the family, but also to give some leadership and some guidance in other areas. Uh, finances is a ministry in its own. And inspired by the Holy Spirit, each and every one of us has the potential of forming a part of God's leadership in that particular area of ministry. Now something of interest to me, and maybe this is a more practical response, is how money is not a spiritual issue until somebody needs it or doesn't have it. Have you noticed that? Okay, how many of you are chuckling at that or know that to be true? Finances are, in fact, a very spiritual issue. The Bible doesn't deal with any topic more than it deals with money. And it deals with it that often because it's at the very core of what's important to us. It is wrapped and tied into our sense of purpose, our time, our vested professional uh, interests. It's connected to our sense of well-being in terms of what we buy and provide for our families and ourselves with it. It is food, shelter, clothing. It is very difficult. The question God or mammon is not as clear as we might think. We are definitely tempted to worship what money can do for us. And so finance is a deeply spiritual sort of thing. Well, I've taken enough of your sermon time, but I just wanted people to get an idea of where you came from and who you were and the relationship you have to this congregation. I know that Elder Labry has written trusts and wills for some of our members and that those will bear fruit in the years to come uh, for our church and create a ministry potential and financial stability that would not otherwise uh, be available to us. And I don't know that your sermon is all about just that today. I don't think, uh, so. I don't think so. But I wanted uh, you to be aware of that and, and the seminar this afternoon as well as the spiritual implications of what's coming. God bless. Thanks mm -hmm. for being here. My pleasure. If you are able to attend this afternoon, uh, you'll certainly get a lot of your questions answered. And feel free to come and participate. And if it takes any longer than one hour, it'll be because of your interest. I always try to keep our uh, seminars to within one hour limit. I want to invite you this morning to open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 22. The very last book of the Bible, the last chapter in the last book of God's Word this morning. Revelation chapter 22, we're going to look specifically at verses 6, 7, 12, and verse 20. And we're going to find something very unique 
about each one of these verses. There's harmony. Revelation 22, verses 6, 7, 12, and 20. And he said unto me, These sayings are faithful and true. And the Lord, the Lord God of the holy prophets, sent his angel to show unto his servant the things which must shortly be done. Verse 7. Behold, I come, what does it say? Quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. And then in verse 12. And behold, I come quickly and my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. And then last, the very last, verse 20, He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so come, Lord Jesus. Even though this chapter deals in actuality with the kingdom of heaven, there is an urgent note that's being sounded here. It's quite possible that the Lord recognized that as time went on, the realization of his coming, the realization of his return would be something very hard to maintain. Four different times he says, I'm coming again. And those of you who are students of the Bible recognize that we are living in a time where the signs of Jesus' return are more prominent today than ever. Would you agree with that? As I think of what's taking place in this world today by way of terrorism, when I think in terms of the fires, the floods, the murders of every grade, I think of that young, pregnant, marine, Things that were so unheard of are so prevalent in this time, in this day, in this age. We have the energy crisis. We have the drug situation in the world. Today's leaders are looking for answers. They're looking for solutions. Jesus says, I'm coming soon. And do you realize that there is a consciousness today more than ever before, a consciousness that we as a world are moving together in a certain direction. The world is trying to solve its problems. We have atmospheric pressures. We have change in climates. We have economical struggles. And the world is looking for solutions to all of these. There's more talk today as well regarding the second coming of Jesus Christ than there has been since the 1830s. More discussion about Christ's coming. And when we contrast, when we contrast what was taking place in the early church and what is taking place in the Seventh-day Adventist church today, I believe we can conclude that there is a vast difference. There's a big difference. The book of Acts demonstrates to us that the early church was profound in its impact upon 
the world. In one place it speaks of the apostles as having turned the world upside down. Whatever that means, it has complete significance being mentioned in scripture that things were taking place. And you know it's God's intention that the very same will happen just before he comes back for his children again. And he wants you and he wants me and he wants our families to be a part of that experience. And I ask a question this morning. What is the reason that God's church today is not having that kind of an impact on the community as it did in the early church? It's an important question because there's a missing ingredient. And that ingredient is the power of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit through men and women. And friends, that was the only ingredient that made the difference in the early church. Before the Holy Spirit came, there was very little activity. But when the Spirit of God filled men and women, things began to take place. Men and women were filled with understanding. They were filled with courage. They were filled with power. They were filled with understanding. And that will be the element that makes the difference in our church today. You know, sometimes we think that this experience is going to be uh, something that happens within the whole church, but it's something that's going to happen on an individual basis. And so we need to ask ourselves this morning, why isn't it happening today? Why aren't the sick being healed? Why are not the dead being raised? There are different reasons it hasn't happened. But maybe one of the reasons could be illustrated in the story of King Ahab. If we were to look in 1 Kings around chapter 20, we would discover that the king was given instruction by God as to how he was to relate to the captive king and those who were taken as prisoners. And we find in one particular verse... And the story was told to the king by the prophet because the king failed to follow God's instruction. And so the story was told the king of one of the men who was holding the captive king. And all of a sudden, he was gone. And so when, when the soldier was questioned as to why you know, this king had escaped. The answer was, I just got busy. I just got busy. And you know, the Bible doesn't say that he got busy with wrong things. He may have been busy doing good things. However, the very task that was placed upon him and was placed in his hands, he neglected. He did not keep watch. And so he escaped. And you know, brethren, 
Jesus is coming soon. There's a personal preparation, of course, that every one of us must experience in our own personal life. And yet it is so easy to get busy here and there with even important things that eternal things began to slip away. Do you sort of get the picture? Perhaps there's a lesson in this story for us this morning. The man's experience is a lot like yours and mine. When the prisoner was put into his charge, I'm sure he never had an intention of letting that man escape. But somehow he got busy with other things. It doesn't say that they were anything wrong or anything bad. He just got busy with other things. He got distracted and the most important responsibility he had, he let go. Now, we can see a parallel perhaps with Christ's church today. We believe that Jesus Christ is coming and we recognize our responsibility and yet we ourselves find ourselves trapped in a lifestyle that many of us really wish we did not have. A lifestyle that keeps us so busy with things that are of less importance as viewed by God, perhaps, but taking so much of our time. How is it that intelligent, born-again Christians, how is it that we with best intentions can allow ourselves to fall into a situation such as this. How is it? Well, let me quickly suggest a few reasons. And I'm not talking about others. I'm talking about ministers as well as church leaders. I'm talking about lay people. Because all, first of all, we're all human. We're all human. We're all subject. Sometimes it's easy to get trapped in secondary things. Things that are important, but not as important as our eternal destiny. Not as important as our position in the overall family and in the overall cause of heaven. Not seen by God as having as much of a bearing. And we're all aware that we have a responsibility to maintain our personal walk with God. But it goes beyond that. There's also a duty that is assigned to every child in the family of God, a duty of which we can be a witness to and for the church, a part of what the church is to accomplish in the world before Jesus returns. Jesus on numerous occasions tried to emphasize the importance of using our talents and our gifts and the assignments that he has given to everyone who is a child of the kingdom of heaven. Responsibilities and duties that are ours, that are not to be neglected, but are to form a part of God's active movement. It's like the mother. The mother who was working in her garden And then she noticed that her home had caught on fire. What did she do? Immediately she remembered the family heirlooms. Now, these heirlooms have been passed down from generation to generation. 
She rushed into the home. She gathered every single one of them. But you know, she had forgotten about her own child. Saving the heirlooms, there, there was nothing wrong with doing that. But the most important object to be saved at that time was the child. Now we're all aware that if we're going to have a strong spiritual experience, we must have a close walk with the Lord. We must have good fellowship with him. But this morning, my brethren, I want you to turn to the book of Acts. Because in the book of Acts, we're going to find out a little bit about why the church was able to do what it accomplished. Let's take a look at the early church, its lifestyle, and let's try to pattern ours after theirs. It's a very simple search. There's nothing difficult or complex regarding it. It just boils down to one verse in Scripture, as far as I'm concerned. And that's found in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, where it says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in the breaking of bread and in prayers. That's it. The result of this kind of lifestyle gave the opportunity for people to be filled with the Spirit of God. And that had a tremendous influence in the world at that time in the early church. This was the key also in the establishment of the Seventh-day Adventist movement back in the 1830s. This was the result. There's one ingredient I'd like for us to crystallize on this morning in this verse, and that has to do with fellowship. Fellowship. Do we realize that this is one of the missing ingredients in the Adventist church today? Fellowship. And it's draining away our prayer as well as study life for a lack of fellowship. And I think if there, was a, if there were to be a survey study of how many Seventh-day Adventists study on a regular basis their Sabbath school lessons or the scripture or spend time in prayer and in the study of God's word, I think we would be surprised. I would like to make one suggestion because I believe this area of fellowship is missing a great deal. I work a lot with the elderly. I have an opportunity to visit with them. There's one lady, she, she broke her femur because of cancer. She had cancer in her femur, and it just broke right in half. And I was there when it happened. They lifted her, putting her on the gurney. She was in the hospital about two months. <clears throat> but... Uh, the reason I mention this, because of her age, because of her condition, 
it's hard for her to be able to participate in a fellowship gathering. So it's essential that someone go and visit, and uh, I, I'm paid to do that. But at the same time, it's such a pleasure to see those eyes brighten, brighten up every time I come, and every time I assist, and every time we pray, and every time we talk about the Lord. There's something that just happens in that person's heart, mind, and life. Fellowship. It's one of the missing ingredients. And I'd like to make a suggestion this morning. I remember when we were in the Hawaiian Islands and I was pastoring one of the churches. We encouraged a great deal of our membership to just meet together, for example, once a week in someone's home. Maybe an hour a week in groups of six or less, and just fellowship together. And I'm not referring to the prayer meeting. I'm not talking just about church meetings, but getting together as a group of friends, studying, praying, praying for one another's needs. Do you realize in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25, we are told that as we get closer to the end of this world, that we are going to fellowship more together it's there Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25 as we get closer it says we will be fellowshipping together how can we encourage each other more if we're not fellowshipping if we're not sharing this kind of experience together and don't forget the shut-ins and don't forget the young people Friends, we're all going to get away from this present situation if we think in terms of fellowship together. Now, there may not be anything wrong with watching the business channel on TV every morning. You know, there may not be anything wrong with that. There may not be anything wrong with watching um, HBO or some of the other channels and programs that are so available today. Fellowship, what it would mean to those who are discouraged, to those who are tempted, to those who are sick, to those who are having marital struggle, to those who feel that they've let God down. And they just don't sense their worthiness. What it would mean to those people. Maybe there are some who are having struggles with their teenagers. Or perhaps, you know, they're experiencing difficulty in their marriage. Fellowship is needed more than ever before. We looked forward to going to those groups where we could share our needs. Some things you don't share. They're, they're too personal. But then there are those areas that we need to plead to God for one another. And that experience of fellowship provides such an opportunity for that. That's only one suggestion. But here's another. And this is going to be the hardest one. The most difficult. 
I would recommend a complete blackout for one week. A complete blackout of all secular influence. For example, no television, no radio, no newspaper. And the time that you spend watching baseball, the time that you spend watching the stock market report, the time that you spend on the golf course, the time that you spend in so many other areas, you devote to studying the scripture and getting close to God. One week, I challenge you, and it won't be easy. It will not be an easy experience. But I'll tell you something. At the very end of the week, you're going to experience something quite different. I remember when I was in the San Diego County area working in the publishing work, we used to work together with the evangelists. <clears throat> uh, it is written, voice of prophecy. Uh, we would uh, invite a lot of the contacts to these meetings. And I, I could never forget this couple. They were both in their late 70s. They had never known Jesus Christ or the Advent message their entire life. But that night, that night they gave their testimony. And the testimony was how happy they were that they had found Christ. And you know that couple, they were willing to do anything at that moment for God's cause. Financially, using their talents, their gifts, their abilities. Every resource they had, they made available to God's work. You and I, there was a time in our life where we confronted Jesus Christ on a personal basis. With me, it was seven years of age. With some of us, it was 60 years of age, maybe 30. But you and I can never forget what it meant when we gave our hearts to Jesus. We were willing to spend and be spent. Isn't that true? And yet it's so easy for us to be so busy that oftentimes we neglect the very experience we first fell in love with. Fellowship. Time with God. What it would mean to many, many homes. You want to be a better husband, better wife? You want to be more patient? You want to be able to, to uh, share with your children even more graciously the, the will of God? You want to be able to handle the physical pressures that you experience, the financial pressures, the pressures in your work. We all have them, do we not? All of us. To some extent, to a certain degree, our life creates stresses for us. You spend one week with God, and I guarantee, because he has told us, that things will take on a new significance in your life and in mine. What do you say this morning? Sometimes we want to finish the work in our humanity, but for the work of God to be finished, we have to allow the Spirit to do it through us. 
And what is the reception of the Spirit? Is it not the reception of Jesus Christ? Isn't it being more as he was and is? Becoming more like Jesus is the reception of his Spirit? I can never forget when I was a literature evangelist in uh, Riverside, San Bernardino counties. It was my privilege to visit people. One day I went to a home in Cucamonga, of all places. And I was there because the lady had picked up a, a card on the Bible stories. And she had mailed it to our office. I was assigned to go see her. I went on Wednesday and discovered she had a great interest in this literature for her children. Well, I asked her a question. I said, when it comes to making major decisions that will benefit your children and your family, do you make the decision alone or do you consult with your husband? And she says, oh, I, I always talk to my husband. So that was the cue. I was to come back when the dad was there. I made an appointment for Sabbath evening. It was winter. The sun went down early. I was there at 7. And when I knocked at the door, the, husband, <clears throat> the wife came to the door, and she, very apologetically, she said, Oh, Mr. Labry, when I told my husband you were coming, he got upset, and he left. He doesn't like salespeople. So he's gone, and I feel so bad that you had to come all the way out here, and, and he's not here. I told her, Don't worry. God has a plan. She says, Well, come in. So I went inside. And we began to talk a little bit. And I discovered that she was anxious that her husband and the children all began to get closer to God. She was the one that was generating the leadership for this kind of experience in the home. And the father had taken off. Well, lo and behold, and as God would have it, I heard an automobile come into the driveway. And the door slammed as... The driver got out. He slammed the door very hard. I knew whom I was going to confront in a few minutes. He walks in and he says to me, he says, I don't like salespeople. I stood up and I said, well, sir, <clears throat> and I'm only here because of your wife's invitation. And he says, well, I drink and I smoke. What do you think of that? In fact, he was drunk already. He had gone somewhere to become intoxicated. And there he was. <clears throat> and I said, well, I, I don't know what you would have said. But I responded, and I believe the Lord gave me the words, because I didn't know what to say either. And I said, well, you certainly can do as you please in your own home, can't you? And that seemed to satisfy him. And all of a sudden, he says to me, sit down. He says, all right, you have to show us something. Get to it. So very tremblingly, you know, I began to demonstrate. And then finally, coming to the end, and I was asking for the order for the material, the father responded. He said, no, we don't need this. The mother pleaded with him, oh, Dad, the kids need these. We need it. We'll learn more about God, about Jesus, about you know, God's plan for us. Dad, please. He says, nah, we can't afford this. No. Well, what do you do? The Holy Spirit was there. And the Spirit was working on this man's heart and mind through his wife. 
through the children. The children, oh, Daddy, please get these for us. Daddy, please. You could just sense the Spirit's presence. I didn't know what else to do. I had used all my skills. My psychological skills were no more. So what do you do in situations like that? You begin to pray. I said, Lord, I need you to help. And so in desperation, I took one of the books, one of the Bible books, and I began to uh, show how well made they were. And I actually took the book and I shook it upside down like this, showing that the pages would not tear out. They were so well manufactured. And do you know that for the first time in my experience, the pages tore out? The pages tore out. And there I was, was as red as a tomato, holding these as a paper in my hand, and the book had fallen to the floor. I was trying to explain quality. And then the spirit began to work. And the mother said, Mr. Labry, maybe God is trying to tell us something. Why don't you read those torn pages that you have in your hand? Well, I looked at the father. I had to get his permission. He said, yeah, go ahead, read it. So I began to read. And you know what? The angel of God had torn out the complete story. And the story was entitled, Beginning Again. Beginning Again. It's found in Volume 1, Bible story. It's a story of Noah and his family beginning a new life in a completely devastated world. Yet God was with them. And you know when I finished that story? I looked at the mother. She was weeping. I looked at the children. They were weeping. But even more significant was the work of the Holy Spirit on that man's heart. He was weeping. His heart was touched. Not by me, not through any human power, but by the work of God's Spirit. That family, not only did they purchase the literature, they studied God's Word with us, and they became Seventh-day Adventists. I don't know where you find yourself this morning in your walk with God Sometimes we try to finish the work in the flesh. And it will never happen. What God needs today is men and women and young people who are filled with him. But in order for that to take place in this modern age of activity and busyness is fellowship praying for and with one another. And of course, that personal walk with Jesus Christ.
What do you say this morning? There may be someone here today who wants to renew that experience. You recognize your life has been on detour and you've neglected your Savior and you've neglected the use of your talents and gifts in his service. And maybe your heart is telling you, maybe even before you came here, you were already in a quandary as to what to do. But because of the busyness of your life, it has been so difficult to regain that great loss. You might be in that particular realm today. And if you are, Jesus is ready to once again put the link together. And if you find yourself struggling because of the lifestyle that the world offers us, I invite you today to make that complete surrender to him again. Spend time with him this week. And I assure you, you'll be the happiest and most joyful. And you'll have greater peace and harmony. And it goes on and on.